Hi, Vicky. Hi, Shane. What is the furthest out to sea you've ever been? Like away from the mainland, as it were. Probably like up to my armpits. <laughs> no, like you've never been on a boat? Out in the ocean? Yeah. I don't think so. Interesting. Unless I, I really don't think so. I've been on boats in like lakes and things and rivers. Sure. But no, I'm kind of like, I'm pretty scared of the open ocean. Yeah, I get that as well. For me, well, actually I'd have to look on a map, but for me, I've had two, (laughs) well, I mean, I've had two kind of significant experiences. One, I went on a cruise with my family when I was younger from, I actually forget where we went out of New York, to Bermuda, essentially. And so I do remember there was a rock wall on this big cruise ship because it's a cruise ship. And I got to the top of the rock wall and I looked around. It was day two or something. And there Mm -hmm. was nothing. Right. Yeah, that's that's what gets me. And that was the first time where I went, oh, goodness. Yeah. Recently, I went to Galapagos with my partner. And we were on a boat, like a much smaller boat, like a I don't know, 16, 17 passenger boat. And we were in the middle of the ocean, but I feel like Mm -hmm. that didn't feel as far away for whatever reason because we were going between all the islands. But there were nights where there were the first couple of of days where I did not feel well, let's say. Oh, Oh, no. Were you green? I was quite green. Boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. And I was not alone, though that did not make me feel any better. Oh, I don't want to get into that any further. Yeah, not great. Science is fascinating. But don't just take my word for it. Join us as we hear stories from scientists for everyone. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Vicki Thompson. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. All right. So that's 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 our time in the ocean, Vicki. Uh <laughs> Uh, But producer Sarah Whitlock is here with a story of researchers who go really far out into the ocean and stay there for months at a time. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Shane. Yeah, today we're talking about geology research that's happening out in international waters, and that's on a ship called the Joides Resolution. So geology research, what are they even studying out there? They are pulling up samples of rocks and sediments from the seafloor, and those samples are called cores. The geologists studying them can learn things about the movement of tectonic plates, volcanic eruptions, and the Earth's climate in different eras. And collecting cores takes quite a while, I assume. It does take a while. To get all the core samples they want, scientists sail out for two months at a time. Today, we're going to hear from Luan Haywood, a research technician who spends around six months a year on the ship, and from Ali Pecha, a student who sailed on a recent expedition studying underwater volcanoes. Great. Let's get into it. My name is Luan Haywood. I kind of have two titles. One is I work on shore at Texas A&M in, at a research institute called the International Ocean Discovery Program. There I work as a research associate, but more importantly, for most of my job, I sail on the research drill ship Joides Resolution, where I sail as a marine science technician. a little bit more about what the JR is. How big is that ship? Yeah, so the JR is the world's foremost 
vessel for scientific ocean drilling. It is, I believe, about 400 feet long. It was built in the 1970s and then retrofitted in the 80s. And pretty much since it kicked off in the 80s, it has been doing these two-month expeditions in all of the world's oceans, getting cores from the ocean floor. The core that we're drilling is essentially a long straw of geological material. It could be sediment, could be some kind of hard rock or typically basalt. It's about 10 centimeters wide in diameter. And then the core, if you consider it in total, it might be a kilometer long. So we bring it up to the rig floor. We drill it in these 9.8 meter segments. But 9.8 meters is pretty big. You need probably at least four people to carry 9.8 meters of rock. So then we cut it up into 150 centimeter sections. So all of our lab equipment, most of our lab equipment is equipped specifically for this 150 centimeter rock. That's amazing. How does that compare to what other research ships might be doing? What we do is fairly unique in terms of the international science community for a few reasons. First, most ships are not drilling ships. Drilling technology is pretty specialized as far as research ships go. And a lot of the techniques that we use, for example, for drilling, were invented specifically for the program by people employed by IODP. So what we do can be a little bit specialized. Most ships are probably a little bit less specialized. They might have the equipment to run things like submersibles or dredges or water column work. So most ships have to be pretty multifunction, whereas our ship is dedicated for ocean drilling, and we do it a lot. And you're actually on the ship right now, is that correct? I am. We are currently sailing back from an expedition where we were drilling just west of the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, really close to the Lost City Hydrothermal Field, drilling in this underwater mountain, this seamount called the Atlantis Massif. What it is, is it's an oceanic core complex. So due to the structural forces at the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, basically the mantle in that area is upwelling and forming a mountain. So this last expedition has gotten a lot of press because we reached a record in terms of the structurally the most deep, the deepest rocks from the oceanic mantle that we have ever gotten. What is your day like on the ship? What is your role? So as a member of the technical staff, we so we're sailing on these two-month expeditions and we do 12-hour shifts every day. So my responsibilities as a tech, there's kind of a few different facets to the responsibilities. We are in charge of the shipboard labs. So as such, we are in charge of kind of curating these big collections of not only samples, because we're bringing kilometers of core off of the seafloor, but also data. We have many, many instruments on here. So every day we're generating huge amounts of data and that all has to be quality checked and compared to different standards and put in the right format. So how do expeditions work? You mentioned that you were on a two month long expedition. Is that pretty standard? These scientific ships that are going out, is that kind of normal? 
I can only speak to what we do at IODP. And on the joint use resolution, we have set up towards this two-month structure. That said, the two months will include whatever time we need it in ports. It'll include transits to the location, which can be up to a week, 10 days. It'll include operational days where you're actually drilling. It might include days where we're waiting on weather. It might include days where we're trying to run instruments, log instruments in the hole. So not every day of those 60 days are days where we're actively getting core. But oftentimes it is almost all of them. So what does that process look like? How many people are usually on an expedition? On the Joides Resolution, we sail about 110 people every expedition. Most of those people are ship's staff who sail six to eight months out of the year on the ship. Then out of that 110 people, there's about 20 rotating scientists that will come maybe once every five years, once every 10 years, once maybe once in a lifetime. So there's kind of a difference between the people that are coming here and getting these rocks and taking them back to their home institutions versus technicians and crew members like me, where this is not only our workplace, but also our home. Last year, I did about three and a half expeditions. There was a funny little transit in there. And I spent six full months out of 2022 on the ship. How did you become a person who's spending all this time at sea? It varies a lot depending on what part of the crew that you're on. For many members of the crew, they come from maritime backgrounds. Then in my department, the technical and analytical services department, most of us come from some sort of science background and specifically some kind of oceanography background. In my case, I'm a geologist, an igneous petrologist by training, and my academic research work was based off of IODP samples. Because if you think about it, the program has existed for like 55 years. So for many people, their entire career is could be based off of IODP research and IODP samples. So I'm kind of on the younger side of the IODP generations of scientists. And then I came here. It has been an experience like none other. I'm not really sure I knew what to expect when I started it. The lifestyle is completely different than most people. We are constantly coming to and from the ship. And out here, the workplace is very different than what a workplace would be like at home on shore because you not only do you work here, but you live here. Six months is a really long time to spend at sea in one year. Yeah, I'm not sure I could handle that much time away from land, among other things, frankly. But it sounds like there are scientists who come onto the ship for individual two-month-long trips, right? Yeah, that's right. Each expedition is designed to try and answer different sets of scientific questions. And about half of the scientists who sail on an expedition are participating because they want to study that particular spot. Allie is a grad student who sailed because the ship was actually near a volcano that she wanted to study. I'm Allie Pecha. I'm a graduate student at Columbia University and Lamont-Dory Earth Observatory. And can you tell me a little bit about what you're studying while you're there? 
Yeah, I study the interactions between volcanoes and climate. So how volcanic eruptions instantaneously impact climate. And then on longer time scales, how climate impacts volcanism in the Earth system. That sounds really fascinating. And can you talk a little bit about how fieldwork is a part of what you're doing? Yeah, well, I guess fieldwork is a part of what I'm doing and that I work oftentimes with physical samples. So those samples need to be collected by somebody in the field. So the International Ocean Discovery Program, it's, which is now IODP, has been going on for quite a long time, but it's one of the only programs in the world that collects deep drill cores. So that's when you go out oftentimes into you know the middle of the ocean, places like the middle of the Atlantic or the middle of the Pacific, a little bit different in our case, of course, and you drill into the sediments that lie on top of the ocean crust. And this is something that is relatively challenging to do, but has offered some of the greatest insights into the way that our earth works of any really field work. In my opinion, you know, I'm a little biased because I work with those materials quite often, but something that is you know, relatively inaccessible to do in, in normal field geology, because it's usually under several hundred meters of water and then drilling several hundreds of meters of sediment. And then recently I had had the pleasure of going on an expedition where I was a part of being able to collect those samples. So we were on the um, IODP expedition to go and drill in and around Santorini Caldera. And I actually oftentimes work with deep sea cores. So I'm working with those materials and it was really a great experience, right? To go out and actually collect them in person. It was sort of like pulling the curtain to see how that's actually done. And I think the impact that that has on the samples that are then retrieved. But how did you come to be on this particular expedition? So this particular expedition was really kind of a combination of the two types of projects that I've worked on previously. So I'd, I'd previously worked on things that were very volcanic focused. So looking at the rocks that come out of a volcano and then relating that to, you know, whatever processes are happening in individual eruption. And then another project that I work on, which focuses on uh, deep sea sediments. So our expedition was really interested in volcanism around Santorini Caldera. So Santorini is the lovely vacation destination in the Mediterranean, but also the caldera itself and the island itself was formed by multiple major massive eruptions that have happened over the last 100,000 years. Of new interest is also the submarine volcano Colombo, which is just to the, I think, southwest of Santorini. But we're really interested in characterizing the history of the Santorini system. So there's about, there's three volcanoes in that area, Christiana, Santorini, Colombo, that have evolved over time, as well as, you know, the general tectonics of the region that have then interacted with the style and magnitude of volcanism that we see. And so I had previously worked with volcanic materials and drill cores. And then this project was, you know, sort of the perfect combination of both of those two things. So I saw the position advertised by IODP, which, you know, I was already familiar with. And I had been at the core repository, the Gulf Coast Repository in Texas. And the XRF 
manager, Jennifer Hertzberger, said, oh, my gosh, you have to apply for Expedition 398. This is perfect for you. And, you know, you would love being on the ship. Everybody would love you. You'd have such a great time. So it's like, oh, of course. And it's pretty competitive. So I did. I applied for it, put a project proposal in. Each scientist also has to propose their own project based on what they might expect the materials drilled to be. And then, you know, ended up getting accepted, had, had a little bit of cold feet. It's a big commitment. It's two months on a ship. It was, in our case, you know, over Christmas, over New Year's. So I was definitely nervous, but everybody who I work with said, oh, no, no, you have to go. Once in a lifetime experience, absolutely make it happen. And it was worth it. That is truly amazing. And you mentioned that we've had these great revelations from drilling into the Earth's crust underneath, you know, underneath all this water. But why would we bother to do that? Why would we drill into the area underneath the ocean instead of just looking at what's on land? I think there's a few reasons, and it does depend really on what you're interested in. But those records often can offer you fundamentally different information than what's available on land. So, for example, in our case, you know, when we're interested in tephra stratigraphy, which is, you know, the past record of volcanic eruptions, marine records, those that are captured in basins are actually much more robust than what you can get on land because oftentimes records on land are exposed to weather, right? <laughs> you know, something that we experience every day. You have rains, you have floods, uh, you even have, you know, dry periods that can then wash away different tephra layers, whereas a marine record kind of preserves a much better total, you know, record of all of the eruptions that have happened, right? And oftentimes much further back in time because things don't don't last very long on land thanks to plate tectonics. Whereas, you know, something that is deposited right at a mid-ocean ridge can last the entire life cycle of a plate until it's returned to the deep earth via subduction. So there's, you know, I think a potential to I mean, A expands what we're able to look at, right? So Obviously, you know, on land is much more accessible, but then also the time scales and then the quality of the records that we're looking at. So basically, we can learn things about geology from studying the underwater record that we'd never learn otherwise. Yeah, and for the past 50 plus years, people have built whole careers studying these cores to understand what that underwater record is telling us. Okay, so that's great and all, but what's it like to actually live on the ship? Yeah, <laughs> so I was on the midnight to noon shift. I would wake up at 11.30 p.m., which never was not weird to set your alarm for 11.30 p.m. And then I would work from midnight until noon, and then I was off at noon, which was really lovely because then I would have my time off. So I'd usually go to bed around 3 or 4 p.m., and I would have my recreation time from about noon to three, which was the beautiful time in the Aegean to sit in the nice Mediterranean sun and do karate or chat with people, play the guitar or whatever it was. We got the opportunity to take uh, karate lessons on the ship, which was absolutely a highlight. There were actually, there was a lot of great recreation opportunities on the ship. They have a really nice movie room. We had a few dance parties. Yeah, 12 hours, you know, not a lot of time, but we definitely packed as much in as we could during that off time. I'm sure people were not expecting to be doing karate out there in the Aegean. No, no, certainly not. That was definitely a, an unexpected highlight. And I think doing it, doing karate on the deck of a JR in the Santorini Caldera was 
even more epic. Yeah, <laughs> such a good backdrop for all of that. Did you find anything that you really did miss, though? It sounds like you had a lot of food, a lot of entertainment, great friendships. Was there anything from land that you missed while you were there? Anything from the land I missed while I was there. I really missed land, particularly because we were often, you know, could see land from the ship. I was dying just to touch dirt that wasn't hundreds or millions of years old. Because, <laughs> you know, we obviously saw a lot of land in our cores, but I think, you know, to not be able to touch grass or see trees or, you know, just vegetation in general, I did really miss. There was one tree in the the top, the bridge deck. They have a, a small little tree and sometimes I would go just touch the leaves to be like, okay, plants still do exist. <laughs> What do you think is the most difficult part to deal with of being at sea for this amount of time? You know, the most difficult part of being at sea for long periods of time is that you really can't go home. There's no weekends. There isn't really time to mentally decompress. Like if you're at work and something has put you in a bad mental state or if you're tired, you're around a hundred other people that are equally as tired because we've been on a ship for 45 days. So that can be really challenging. But also I think that the, the type of people that gravitate towards this kind of work have a lot of resilience and also tend to value the power of kind of mutually supporting each other because we're out here and we're the only people out here. So everyone has to support everyone else. What do you think are some of the favorite types of science that you've gotten to do on the JR while you've been there? I think that for me, my favorite part of the science that I've done in the JR is really just seeing the rocks. There's this incredible moment when the core comes off of the drill floor and when we first split it. And in the splitting room, it's only technicians. So we'll pop it open. And that is the first time that those rocks have ever been seen by a human maybe the first time that those rocks have been seen by any organism for millions of years. So I think for me to interact with other people's ideas of, you know, why they found this so exciting and the pieces of it that were really fascinating and watching everybody else learn alongside me was really refreshing and I think actually renewed my love for science. It can, it can be challenging to be a graduate student at times because you feel, you feel really dumb. <laughs> People don't talk about that enough. It's really hard to just kind of feel like you don't know what you're doing sometimes. But I think being on the ship you know, every single day was like, none of us really know what we're doing, but we're doing our best and we're learning on the way. You know, and like some of the small mysteries were so fascinating to me. And, you know, our attempts to reconcile that with our own understandings. So I, that was personally like my favorite part of it. And I think the most important takeaway. Yeah. So the discuss, scientific discoveries of the Joides Resolution have been hugely influential in our field. Really, right after the Joides Resolution came out, right after the first expeditions of our predecessor programs, the ocean drilling program and the deep sea drilling program, there were these incredible scientific discoveries. Some of the first expeditions were drilling these transects across the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, which helped confirm the theory of plate tectonics. Some early expeditions were done in 
the Mediterranean that lended great evidence towards the Mycenaean salinity crisis, which is where the Mediterranean closed and dried up and formed these thick beds of evaporites, salts, and gypsums. I mean, it sounds it sounds pretty great to do karate on the deck of a ship while making revolutionary scientific discoveries. Oh boy, sign me up, Shane. I can't wait. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> Unfortunately, both of you only have a couple more opportunities to sail. The Joides Resolution is retiring at the end of 2024. It was at the end of its lifespan, and there's not a replacement vessel yet. Yeah, it's an incredible time of flux for the entire scientific ocean drilling community, and also especially all of us that are in the Joides Resolution family. So ocean scientific ocean drilling will continue. IODP currently has two other components of the drilling program. We have the Chikyu, which is operated out of Japan, and the European countries band together in this organization called ECORD that runs what we call mission-specific platforms, which is when they might rent some sort of industry platform or maybe an icebreaker to do a one-off expedition. Between the Chikyu and the mission-specific platforms, I don't have the exact numbers, but I believe it's been in total maybe on the order of 10 or 20 expeditions total between those two organizations. The Joint Use Resolution, we've had hundreds of expeditions over the past 50 years. And IODP is run by this incredible international collaboration by scientists from many different countries. So even though so we've gotten so much core from the Joides Resolution, scientific ocean drilling will continue on other vessels. Also, if you consider the quantity of core that we've gotten in the past 40, 50 years, all of that material is still available to be studied by the international scientific community. It's held in three main repositories in Japan, in Texas, at Texas A&M, where I am, and in Germany. So that material is still around. That said, I do think that there will be an effect in terms of people's careers going forward, because we're simply not bringing up the same amount of rocks off of the seafloor. Another great thing about IODP is that it has formed such a large community We've been really intentional about trying to spread that out across different generations. So it's been this incredible platform for interaction between senior scientists and early career scientists. So it's kind of hard to know what that's going to look like going forward. So how do you think that might change the early research careers of other graduate students? Yeah, it's, you know, it's really a shame. And I think... I think, of course, there's plans to develop a new ship for the future, but that does involve a gap of about 10 years of a, a functioning expedition. And it is, it is really unfortunate. I think it will shift the focus of a lot of ongoing work to cores that have already been collected. And I imagine that graduate students will probably have to look elsewhere if they want to take place in a drilling cruise. So it, it is unfortunate. And it's something that actually comes up pretty often. When I accepted the position to be on the expedition, I didn't know that the JR was getting retired. That's something that's just been developing after having been on the expedition. And now whenever I tell people, they're, they say, oh, wow, you must feel so lucky to have been able to take place in one of the last expeditions. 
and it is, yeah. So I think, I think I do feel not guilty, but it's, I feel really grateful to have been a part of it. And I do feel sad for new graduate students who won't get to be a part of it within their careers. Well, within their graduate student career, hopefully after that. But I imagine the the focus will shift more towards legacy cores, which I think, you know, I think still hold knowledge that we have no way of, you know, knowing the potential there. And I think that that was one of the biggest points that I think I really took home from the cruise also was that these cores will continue to offer valuable information to scientists and, you know, people in general for the foreseeable future. And, and there's things that people will be interested in with our cores and also cores that have already been drilled for as long as the, the repositories exist. I wonder what aliens would think if they would come to Earth and find us just hoarding thousands of tubes of rocks and mud. Oh, I feel like, I mean, they definitely assume that they're very important artifacts to us, which I think they are, right? To some folks, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, to, they are important. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. Not to, not to minimize that. I got that. offended by that. I, I, I see that. What, what, what do you hoard, Vicky? Like, what's your thing? Oh, pocketbooks. Pocket. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. All right. Sarah, what, what about you? You know, I think for me, it's got to be thrift store mugs that are as weird as possible. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, my gosh. Mine's pint glasses or or beer glasses. I started in college and we would go to this bar and once a week you could take the the mug home. And now I, I've gotten rid of many, but at one point I had hundreds for myself, just single me. There's not I could spend months <laughs> and never never have to actually go and do my laundry or laundry, <laughs> wash my dishes. Anyways, before we, uh, <laughs> as, as all good things happen, we're just going to keep going and just sign off because at this point I'm just rambling. So with that, that is all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks so much to Sarah for bringing us this story and to Luan and Allie for sharing their work with us. This episode was produced by Sarah with audio engineering from Colin Warren and artwork by Jay Steiner. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast, so please rate and review us and you can find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all and we'll see you next week. You know what's funny is before y'all signed on, I was like, you know what? I'm going to press the button again so that the light doesn't turn off in the middle of me speaking. And of course it did. And that made for some very unhinged commentary on my part. But we're just going to leave it in because (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's staying there because I don't feel like redoing it. And it adds to the charm or at least in my mind it does.